Filmmaker Commentary, episode 130. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. What up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm joined with... KCG Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. Yes. And today, we're talking about Escape from New York, 1981. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. That, yeah, you gotta be specific with that. Um, couple housekeeping suggestions. Notes. Notes, yeah. Um, we are now on Spotify. Whoop, whoop. Whoop de whoop. Thank y'all, everybody, for your support. Um, there may be a few ads coming on here and there. And we would like to know, like, during our transition, because we're going through another platform now, if you have any issues with iTunes or Stitcher, Google, we'll be switching all that stuff over. So if you have any issues, please reach out to us through social media. Of course, we'll give you all those as usual at the end of the show. Also, um, our episode. So we're on episode 130 right now. Uh, but we have episodes from 104 to 124, which is like our pandemic episodes. And those are going to be published to the web, to the uh, pot platform as well. Mm-hmm. Words. They'll be published. However, they'll still be numbered like the old episode. So it'll be episode one or four. But we'll be publishing those at the same time that we're publishing our newest episodes at one with 131 so i just wanted to let y'all know like when you see those older episodes don't be alarmed those are just our pandemic episodes and that's episode 104 through 124 be on the lookout there's some good stuff there indeed any more housekeeping notes think you about covered it buddy okay so escape from new york 1981 written and directed by john carpenter co-writer nick castle yes what kind of box office did this and budget and box office this film had? So Escape from New York came in at an estimated budget of around $6 million, which was a small budget even for that time. And it grossed approximately $25 million. So it was a, a hit and also a, a cult classic as well. This character of, of Snake Plissken uh, has been a, uh, referenced and the the style of the film has been duplicated and imitated many times over yeah i'd say that's a win definitely definitely a win and the international numbers were very low and as we know we don't know what really happened they they didn't really that's true it was enough to garner a sequel in the 90s with escape from la did you watch that one I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I'm curious to check it out. But I, I remember watching the HBO behind the scenes of it when they were making the film. Mm-hmm. I know there's a shot in the film specifically where Snake is on a basketball court and Uh-oh. he like just him. Obviously, there's nobody else around. And, right. And he throws up this Hail Mary like half court shot. Yeah. Like, like I think Kurt Russell did it after like maybe like four or five tries. He didn't he didn't have to do it that many times, but mm-hmm. he hit it. But I just remember watching that from behind the scenes. So it was scenes. like a wide shot, so you could tell that he actually shot it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, Sigourney Weaver in Alien? Uh, Alien Resurrection. Yeah, she's, she's got the, the like the red jumpsuit. Yeah, she throws it back and nails it on the first go. Really? Yeah, and people were like, <laughs> one of the one of the villains started celebrating, like yeah. So he had to kind of <laughs> cut it. <laughs> 
Wow. Because she was, it wasn't even on purpose. It was like, that wasn't even the intention of that shot. They were intending on cutting it and then doing the insert of the ball going But it in. just went in. Yeah, it just went in. That's cool. Very, very cool. Escape from the... Yeah, so I saw that trailer and I'm like, hmm, 90s. I don't know. It looked like they had some money, though, to make it. Yeah, the, that, you know, I mean, the yeah. budget increased. Come back around. Yes, sir. Oh, man. Kurt Russell definitely would have been demanding more by that point because this was the start of his action career. Like before then, nobody saw him as that guy. He was the he was the Disney actor. Mm-hmm. And then he did an Elvis like TV movie series mm-hmm. with John Carpenter. That kind of got them rolling. And then right. yeah, and even for this he had to they had to kind of push to get him in the role, but Carpenter had enough stroke then to get him in. So Yeah, it's interesting because he actually has like all those capabilities of being able to do his own stunts, which a lot of people didn't Probably didn't know that. But yeah. at that time, you know, the superhero had to have like a monster, just a bunch of muscles on their body. And that's your hero, as we saw. Yes, Might be sir. stiff as all get out, but uh, got to have the muscles. Yes, sir. But anyhow, before we talk further about John Carpenter's. John Carpenter's. Escape from New York. Let's talk about TV and movies. Watch. So what have you been watching, sir? Well, I've been on my usual grind again, my Young Rock, my Hill Street Blues, my uh, Wonder Years. Just to clarify again, it's the new Wonder Years, okay. the black Wonder Years. <laughs> ah. Every time I think that the season is is done, there's yeah. another episode. But now I'm sure the season finale just took place. But that show is very enjoyable. Of course, Atlanta also, I believe, had their season finale because I saw a promotion that says all, all episodes available on Hulu. So I think yeah. this last episode was the season finale, which makes me sad. I'm like, man. Give I me know, some right? Mo. Yeah. Uh, uh. Give me I, some more. I watched that episode recently and I was like, wow, is this it? I didn't know that was it. You know, I was actually kind of surprised. Like, I was thinking, like, let's go, let's go to the next one. Yeah, exactly. But it was a great, uh, maybe, I guess my favorite, maybe my favorite uh, season. <laughs> oh, favorite season. I thought you were going to say episode of the season. Yeah, this this last one was was okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it showed off some of Zazie Beats uh, mm-hmm. acting chops. For had, sure. Had some surprises, but not, not my favorite, though. Uh, what else have I been on? Mm, okay, so of course the offer on Paramount Plus again about the making of the Godfather that's still been very very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hacks on HBO Max. Two new things that I watched. Uh oh. Two movies that I watched. Oh, two movies. Yes, that okay. were both very enjoyable, but both very very different. First, on Disney Plus. Okay. Do you remember or did you watch as a child Chippendales Rescue Rangers? Of course. Disney Afternoon, right? Yeah. All right, so they've been showing a trailer for a couple months now of a Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie. Oh. Where in, in, in the trailers they show that Dale, right? Dale is the one who had had the Magnum P.I. shirt on. He was a, Dale was a dumb one, let's just be honest. Yeah. Dale, Dale, Dale was goofy. He had the red nose and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Chip was always more serious. And, but Dale, Dale is going through a process and had this surgery, the 3D surgery. And so Dale is 3D generated. Oh, nice. Where Chip is still 2D. Yeah. And uh, you know, something that they've been they've been separated for years, like they had a falling out yeah. in the show. And like and it's like they're real actors who were doing a show. Yeah. They're, even their voices are different. Their voices are much more deeper. Like they, they did the whole chipmunk thing sound for the show. But they had a falling out and the rescue rangers are done. Something happens, they gotta come back together. And so this this film without well this film is it's it's like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, 
but for 2022. Interesting. It is brilliant. The <laughs> the jokes in this film, man, are are wonderful, man. They have some mm-hmm. great gags. <laughs> they go in on a couple of properties and the cameos that that take place in here from other properties that are outside of Disney, just like when you saw Roger Rabbit and you saw like Bugs and Mickey on the screen right. together, like, wait a minute, what? What is going on? Like, how is that possible? I feel there's some of some of that, not to that that I mean that's the height of heights to have those two on screen together, but there are some pretty awesome cameos within it. It's funny, it's well done, but yeah. Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Ah. If you were a fan of the show in the '90s, definitely check this out. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna hit you with a lot of feels, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Okay, I might, might have to watch that with the children. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, and then the other film that was completely different, M Night Shyamalan's. Oh, dude, I've we've been trying to watch this forever, and yeah, you should see Casey's face. He's like. Like he's reluctant. <laughs> you don't know what to say. What do you? I watched it. Give last us some adjectives. I watched it last night. Shocked, surprised, uh-huh. intrigued, but it's br- it's brilliant. Okay, it really it is brilliant. The execution is brilliant. Playing. I mean, obviously we know from the trailers, yeah. people are on the island. They're aging at an and they're aging rate. at a rapid rate. Yeah, but just the ramifications of what happens when you are when you're when you are aging faster, when your body is going through those changes of aging at such a rapid rate. What what does that mean? And I'm not going to go into the details of spoilers, but it is it is quite brilliant. It's jarring. <sighs> And in the set, the setup is great. And then when I'm watching it, it tonight, when it just turns, you're like, oh, oh no, oh no, oh no. And every time you, a moment you think things have calmed down, then all of a sudden there's something else because it's, the clock is ticking. Oh, the clock is ticking, and you yeah. and time is not on your side. Dang. And 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 uh, satisfying. I thought the ending was was quite satisfying as well. I did feel, you know, sometimes you know, M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel that. But uh, yes. It, old, brilliant. There should be more talk about this film. Check it out. It's on HBO Max. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out. I like the key art to it because it's always like a like some skeleton or yeah, a woman's like a young woman's leg. Yeah, and then the other leg is skeletal. Yeah, I like the Goonies. Old, old. There was an old. Wasn't there a film called Old back in the day? No, it was called Thinner. Thinner. <laughs> <laughs> That guy, get, that guy gets cursed. Yeah. I remember this trailer. I was like, "Ooh, oh, what did you do, homie?" But actually, I watched that. I watched that one as a. I mean, been my teens, but that, that was I, good. Was it good? That was a Stephen King. Yeah, it was thinner, as creepy as you would expect. That was yes. That was a Stephen King. Stephen Kinger. We were just yeah. we we were just talking about different titles, <laughs> and this, in particular, we were talking about because obviously this is John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Like, what, right. you, what if you just came up with just different titles and you just throw John Carpenter's name in front of it? John Carpenter's Humidity. <laughs> because because Casey had brought up that he had a movie called The Fog. True, and I was like that. True is, story. It's boring. That's a boring title. John Carpenter's boring. John Carpenter's coming this fall. Mist. Rain. You can just like use anything. John Carpenter's overcast. (laughs) 
Oh no, it's overcast. Stay inside. Stay inside. What have you been watching, sir? Um, watched Atlanta. Watched. Um, I told you we've been into the old Fresh Prince. Still have yet to watch the dramatized version. And the reason that I watched the older Fresh Prince is because it's like twenty something minutes, and then something I can watch with the whole family. And I really don't have that much time during the week, so. When I watch something, it has to be like I have to set. I have to almost schedule it. Basically, sure, sure. You know, you're a busy man. So tonight will be old. I'm gonna watch old tonight for sure. Now watch like, with the misses. Yeah, now that because it's something that's been on our queue, but we just haven't done it. Man, I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it after afterwards. Next, next, next podcast. Oh yeah, next episode. So the Fresh Prince episode that we just recently watched was the one when uh, Ashley's being bullied. And then Will Smith is trying to show her how not to be with it. Mind your business. Mind your business. That's all. That's all. (laughs) Back up. Back up. Man, everybody was just dying laughing on that one. Classic. That's that's a classic one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the first episodes that I saw of Fresh Prince. May have been that one. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's also teachable moments with the family because there's always lessons with these sitcoms, the specific one. That, you know, don't let your anger get the best of you. You know, mm. their dad ends up hitting, you know, the other dad. And he's like, you might have got a mistake with your mama. Boom. Ooh. Yeah. Feel heads him out. So, anyhow, that was good. Um, movie that I watched, The Hunt. Do you remember the movie called The Hunt? Very controversial in 2020. Um, starring Betty Gilpin. She's uh, in the Glow. I think it was the Glow series on Netflix with the wrestlers. Okay, you know what? I remember hearing about that mm-hmm. briefly, but I didn't see it. So, yeah, one of the most controversial films in 2020 because it's basically a satire of the rich elite hunting undesirables, mm-hmm. just being the, the normal average public citizen or whatever. Um, but the reason it was so controversial is because, keep in mind, every during the pandemic, all of us are like panicking. <laughs> We're getting like toilet paper. Uh, people are fighting in the streets, looting. People are being lynched, murdered. You know, that's how Black Lives Matter just kind of <laughs> came during the pandemic. Sure. A lot of, lot, a lot was going on. And so for them to have this film dropped in, dropping around the time when we're talking about like corporations, elite millionaires, and where a lot of corporations had to say sorry for things during that time and, you know, try to make amends with Black Lives Matter or whatever nonprofit they can kind of get next to. Sure. Uh, it was people were it was just bad timing because it was because this movie's a satire. So it's uh, uh, yeah, it just hit all the wrong chords at that time, all the wrong notes at that time. Uh, but going back, it was this was in a five dollar bin. Remember, I sent you a picture of all the Nicolas Cage movies that are in the five dollar bin. Right, it was, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was like six movies, five or six movies, just Nicolas Cage, all movies, and in, in the Walmart Blu-ray dollar bin. Uh, but the Hunt was in there, and I was like, I got to get this, mm. got to get it, and it is satisfying. Really? Yeah. Okay, I have to look at checking that out. There's uh, also um, what's her name that uh, the actress that played. Uh, she played a boy in, like, I think it was like a mid or late 90s movie. The Boys Don't Cry? Yeah. Yeah. What's her name? Hillary, Swank. Hillary Swank. Swank. Swank's in here. And you Swank have is the truth, man. She's incredible. Dude, she got an Oscar Mil- for that. Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby, she got that Oscar. Oh, maybe she was nominated for Boys Don't Cry. Or Probably. 
Um, she's, she's, she's a powerful act, actress. Actor. <laughs> right? It was going to be the day. Um, but there's a scene that's reminiscent of Kill Bill. Ooh. With uh, Vivica Fox and with her. Ooh. Yeah. Very satisfying. Okay. <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. And today's show is sponsored by Natural Hair the Movie by Grand of the Matter Films. Available on multiple platforms such as Amazon Video, All Black TV, and now on Tubi. Boom. Please check us out. Rate and leave a review. And let's jump back into the show. Thank you for tuning in to Filmmaker Commentary. We're talking about John Carpenter's Escape from New York, 1981. Here is a synopsis. In a world ravaged by crime, the entire island of Manhattan has been converted into a walled prison where brutal prisoners roam. But when the U.S. president crash lands inside, only one man can bring him back. Notorious outlaw and former Special Forces war hero Snake Plissken. But time is short. In 24 hours, an explosive device implanted in his neck will end Snake's mission and his life. Unless he succeeds. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. And if this is your first time listening to Filmmaker Commentary, please know that there will be spoilers. You've been forewarned. How did you watch this film? Did you know about this film? Oh, because you mentioned it. So how did you know about this film? I, as a youngster, I didn't really know about it. I think I'd seen imagery just because it would just pop up different places. But it wasn't until, honestly, when they started working on the sequel and I saw that behind the scenes on HBO about Escape from L.A., it got me kind of curious, but I would never, I would never see it pop up somewhere to watch it, like ever. It's just one; it was one of those blind spots that I had. So, mm-hmm. again, in the mm, mid two thousands, you know, I, I went probably probably from two thousand and eight to two thousand and thirteen. I specifically focused in on kind of filling in some of my blank spots with films, yeah. and was just you know using Netflix, ordering like two two films at a time, yeah, and just trying to. Up, up my knowledge. Yeah. And this was one of those films. I was like, you know what? Let's check out this Escape from New York film. It's on there. All right, let's check it out. I think I was going through some like top 100 film thing that I think Barnes and Noble's wow. had at the time. It was just like, boop, boop. All right, next to, on deck, next to. And so I watched it. But after watching it, I kind of forgot about it and yeah. didn't didn't think about it anymore because even as we got around to it, I'd forgotten I'd watched it until yeah. I was like, wait a minute, I did see this. Forgettable. Sorry about that. Yeah, so I was like, eh. but uh, I think I enjoyed it more this time. Well, I, I delved deeper into it this mm-hmm. time, so that kind of I think changes how I feel about a film. Right, I'm learning more about it behind the scenes, and since we've kind of been on a bit of a carpenter kick, true, uh, and seeing some of his other work, becoming more familiar with his style, mm-hmm. it uh, gives me I guess, a, guess a greater appreciation for his work. But yeah, um, mid two thousands is when I heard about it. How about you? Oh, this is never. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this was 1981. This is like old, you know. As a, it was already old when I was, you know, a kid. Watch, you know, just around in the 80s. But um, yeah, I think there's for me there's like a a spot between like the mid 
seventies, early eighties where I'm just like, there's like a blind spot there, you know, for a lot of movies. Uh, this was one of them, but I started seeing like you, when the other one came out in the nineties, you escaped from LA and okay. That was around, that was being promoted. Cause that was like, it's kind of in the style of demolition after looking at the trailer, like demolition man and all the other 90s films. So it was like, all right, well, but nothing really excited me about, um, the main character because you know, you had, I mean, got what's the, what's the guy Sylvester Stallone and all these other guys like, eh, you know, Right. <laughs> you grew up you grew up with them. You didn't grow up with Snake Pliskin. Right. And it, it just didn't seem like a believable to me. It kind of seemed more like a kind of like a parody or something like that based on the trailer, not knowing anything. Mm. Um but kind of looking back on it and realizing there was a whole nother film before Escape from LA and seeing where all this come from and then, you know, starting to study filmmaking and all that's like, okay, it's important to know about this history of this this particular type of genre. Um, but yeah, this is my first time watching it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I dug it. What, um, so you had the, you purchased the 4k U8 ultra HD. Not initially by choice. <laughs> it was again, y'all, if you're listening to this episode, you know that previously we were supposed to cover this right back in episode one twenty nine. Mm-hmm. had some hiccups with the, the company I was initially ordering this from, they sent me the wrong version, the, the non-special edition version, uh, just based upon a, a mistake in how the it was labeled. And so I sent it back, received another copy, still the non-special edition version. <laughs> and by that time, it just so happened that week that this 4K version was coming out and it was and it was on sale. So I said, oh, screw it. I'm just going to get the right the newest version. When I was purchasing it, that you know, I saw in movie trading company they were actively promoting this version. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is coming out in a few because I was looking for a Blu-ray. They only had DVDs. I'm like, Do y'all not have a Blu-ray of this? And she was like, No, we don't. And then I looked on the monitor, it's like, oh, oh, that's convenient. <laughs> it's coming out 4K in a few days. But hey, I'm committed to the DVD since it, uh, we were supposed to be recording that Sunday. So I was like, yeah. I'm gonna just go ahead and get this DVD and just rock with that. But when this came out, I was gonna purchase it, but I was like, I looked at the special features mainly the commentaries, and I believe they're the same. Mm. The extra special features are not, but yeah, you can go through those. Sure. So this one actually is quite robust. Yeah. So it comes with obviously the, the 4K, 4K UHD disc that has a 4K restoration by Studio Canal. It also has, on, on both the Blu-ray and, and 4K UHD, it has audio commentary with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, commentary with the producer Deborah Hill and production designer Joe Alves and also an audio commentary with Adrian Barbeau and director of photography Dean Cundy. Uh, coupled with that on the Blu-ray and it's actually not it's not listed here uh, because I don't for that reason it's not listed here but on the the first Blu-ray there's also a what was it? it? There's a feature like you you go under under features and it's and the top is like and it says posters or something like that or like a trailer or something. But then underneath it, there's something else that makes you think it's like a, a trailer. And I happened to click on it and it was actually a 56 minute documentary on the making oh, of wow. the film. Uh, that I should be like, marketed on the box. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's a win. <laughs> so I checked that out. Then there's a second disc, a second Blu-ray that has uh, big challenges in Little Manhattan. The visual effects of Escape from New York. Big troubles in Little Manhattan. I like that. Yeah, big challenges in Little Manhattan. 
Then it has Scoring the Escape, an interview with composer Alan Horath, Horath who of course worked with Carpenter. Um, Alan Horath had previously worked on the Star Trek original motion picture. That was mm-hmm. his first deal, and then he got connected with uh, with John uh, through the editor, and they, they seemingly had a really good time working together, mm-hmm. and he worked with him on some other films in the future. Carpenter is really good about that. Yeah, bringing 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 his team along. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I am Taylor. An interview with actor Joe Unger. Um, My night on the set. An interview with filmmaker David Decoto. Decoto, uh, a deleted scene of the original opening, the bank robbery sequence with optional audio commentary. Return to Escape from New York featurette. So that's a a nice where they go back and they, they're talking with all the actors, even like Isaac Hayes is on there before he passed away. Right. Oh, so, wow. okay. So it was, they it went does, back and got some footage. Okay. Yeah, that's a nice one. Like, everybody is enough. Like, they're probably, like, it starts, probably took place sometime in the 90s, but everybody was, like, for the most part, like, still still around who was in the nice. original. And then theatrical trailers and a photo, two photo galleries. Gotta love it, man. Um, which commentary? Did you watch everything? And also, which commentaries did you listen to? And which one is the best in your opinion? Yes, I watched everything. Uh, and I listened to all but two. I, I listened to the commentary first with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. And then I listened to the commentary with uh, Deborah Hill, the producer, and with uh, Joe Alves. I didn't listen to the one with Adrian and Dean. Okay. But I, I'd say the one with, with Carpenter and, and Kurt Russell was the best commentary. Okay. Because a lot of the stuff that I heard from Deborah, by the time I got to theirs, Mm-hmm. Because of the, the the featurette that I had watched, then then things started to be really redundant. Oh, okay. It's All like, the little side stories, for the most part, had been told, so I, I really didn't have any updates for my notes. There was maybe one or two new things by that point. Doesn't mean it's a bad commentary. I just had that other featurette that I'd watched by then. So right. And when I was looking through it, I was like, all right. I only saw the two document, two commentaries on the first disc. And it was Kurt or and John Carpenter or the producers of the film. Right. And I was like, hmm, let's go with John Carpenter this time. Mm-hmm. Whew. Glad that one's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. So it, go ahead. No, but it was yeah, this was this was much better than Big Trouble in Little China's commentary. Yeah, you got a point there. Yeah, they were they were really talking about the film. Like when they did Big mm. Trouble in China, it seemed like they hadn't seen each other in a while, and they were kind of just catching up and reminiscing. Right. Which is, you know, that's great. You know, they they obviously have a long-standing relationship, but this was it was still friendly, but it was they were really like talking about the process of things on the film and stuff like that. So yeah, I I, I enjoyed the commentary much much more. It was more it was more technical. Mm-hmm. I like how John Carpenter he's always when when he's like in the zone of talking about his film. He gives you some nuggets on filmmaking, and so I appreciate the talkative directors that love talking about their craft, and he's one of those guys. And he's so focused. He he always has a very clear vision for what he's trying to do, so mm-hmm. he he knows his stuff. Yes, indeed. Speaking of, like, Big Trouble Little China, um, going using Kurt again, it's like they both have mastered their thing. That's what it feels like. You know, and, th- and, and this one, it seems like, you know, from Kurt's standpoint, it's like, uh, not yet, but soon, you know, as far as just him being the staple. Um, but yeah. And then from a execution standpoint and resources and like technology that's available, it seems like with big trouble, little China's like everything kind of, you had it, he had everything he needed. Yeah. That was the biggest budget he had worked with 
at that point. But also, this was this was his first big budget film. Excuse me, not big, it wasn't a big budget film. He had a small budget, but yeah. one of his first studio films. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This was his first studio film. Everything okay. else had really been independent. This is his first studio film. This is Kurt Russell's first lead action mm-hmm. role. So it it this springboarded him into other other things. You know, the, the tango and catches of the world. Ah, uh, how can I forget? Heck Dude, yeah! I, I just, can't wait to jump to the nineties. I just thought about it now. I was like, dang, tango and I love tango and cash, man. That's a that's a good one. We got to jump into nineties films soon. Heck yeah! Heck yeah! Be on the lookout. Yeah, for real. Um, the overall tone of this film, I, I feel like at the beginning, you kind of get a vibe for it because they do the whole intro scene, which is just an animation and kind of talking about the prison planet. I mean, not prison planet, but prison island, island mm-hmm. of New York. And, um, you know, cut to that. We see, you know, the big wall and all that stuff. And then you see some people trying to escape <laughs> and then the helicopter's like, turn back. And then they just send missiles down on the people. And the guy, the guys are literally trying to turn around. <laughs> it's just so slow. Like too late. Like, boom. Man, it gives you like the vibe of this whole area. Well, what are your thoughts about the tone of the film? Uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's dystopian. Yeah. Like from day one. For and sure. It, and it's, uh, it's, dark like oh man this is a this is an island of criminal this is the worst of the worst with one one rule you check in like a roach motel don't check out you cannot leave That's you live terrible. however you live but you cannot leave oh my god i kind of got almost like suicide squad vibes from okay. it because here you have you have somebody who's a criminal who then gets a contract to go in to do a good deed, go and rescue somebody, yeah. to have their record cleared. Yeah, huh. I was like, "This is this, this is Suicide Squad." That's a trope. This is Task I mean, Force it, X. That's a trope, basically. Like this film has basically created the trope. Yeah, this is the the expendable antihero who uh, is you know willing to risk their lives, you know, or willing to have his life risked to try mm-hmm. and gain his his freedom. And in Suicide Squad, they literally have things in their neck to make their heads explode. Very much so true. Very true. So I was curious, and I forgot to look this up, but I was curious to look at some of DC's publication dates of when Task Force X slash Suicide Squad was first published, and, and more specifically when they started putting like the bombs in their necks. Yeah. Like if that happened bef- after this movie, or were they doing that before? Nope. I'm, I'm still curious to, to find that out. Did Was Carpenter expi- inspired? Or vice versa. Or, or Nick Castle, his, his co-writer. Oh. It's a good question. It's a very good question. I mean, because the script was written back in, they said he had the outline like back in like 74 or 76. Mm-hmm. And then Nick Castle helped them punch it up before they went to production. So, Or what could it be the director slash writer of Suicide Squad being inspired by older films? I don't know. James Gunn? I don't know. Hmm. But they did it in David Ayers as well. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a it's Never a mind. it's a suicide yeah. squad. Even in the comics, like it would mm-hmm. happen. But I'm just curious when they started doing that in the comics research. Uh, yes. But yeah, it's it's dark. It's twisted. But it's also it's it's, it's a modern western. It has a modern western vibe to it. Mm-hmm. You you're you're in a town that seems kind of derelict. People are kind of in the hiding, but come out occasionally for gunfire, and you could uh, you know, it's lawless. Mm-hmm. So. They even have like a, a famous person from the West, from the Westerns playing in the film. Yes, sir. Mr. 
Should be put some respect on his name. Put some respect on my name. <laughs> a gentleman by the name of Lee Van Cleef. Okay. What um even though this is John Carpenter's first studio film, I do feel like he has style in his picture. Um, you know, he's back to the anamorphics, man. You know, the anamorphics is like his thing and it's very apparent. Um and then he also said it's a way to kind of stretch the budget, you know, using like one takes. If he does like the one takes and it'll kind of stretch the budget a little bit. So it's like almost like his six million dollar film looks more like a 10 to 12 million dollar film. Um, what do you think about his overall style and his approach? So in this one, obviously, I mean, that that dystopian vibe and tone is set by just the film taking place. The majority of it at night. Mm-hmm. Right. Even even when you're around the the place where the the liberty uh the national liberty uh control yada 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 get the name of the organ the liberty island security control oh <laughs> you know it's all at night mm-hmm. but then you see you know heavy heavy shadows everywhere you know things lit with 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 torches once you're inside the the buildings like you said you know very simple scenes that mm-hmm. that are done in one take yeah uh, where they boom all right we got the coverage all right, we're move, we're moving on, mm-hmm. but there are also some innovations that happened during during this filming. There were new lenses that came out by Panavision, mm-hmm. uh, early lenses that allowed them to shoot in very very low lighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they were f- faster lenses. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the talked about the pan glide that came out that allowed for tracking shots that kind of gave right. it more of a, of a floating feel. Like that was a new technology then that they were able to take advantage of. Also, the first Rocky. What year was that? Was that 79 for the first Rocky? Seven, not, 78 or 79. Because if I'm not mistaken, if they might be getting they might have credit for like the first city cam shot. Um, and two years later, you know, still the same. You know, it's not, it still be new technology. Right. True. As they're perfecting it. Um, yeah, kind of talking about the low light thing. Uh, Michael Mann, I think, is avert with the movie Collateral and Miami Vice. Or examples of like as technology progresses, instead of relying on the lenses so much to bring in more light, now you have the sensors and digital. Um, instead of using film, the digital sensor bringing in more light, so you can kind of Michael Mann said see into the night a little bit. Right. And you can get that vibe in Collateral and um, Miami Vice, mm. specifically Miami Vice. Also, with that, there were new EMI lights had just been created, and so they they're able to give that blue tone that they used to light so much of the so much of the city. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those lights had just come on the scene as well. So a lot of new innovations that made this film possible from a technological standpoint and a budgetary standpoint. Yeah, man. Uh, one other thing that I noticed with his style was it the green. The green he used the color green quite a bit. Mm. Uh, like when you know that when um, Snake jumps into that little glide plane. And then there's a green light hitting him in front of the fa- yeah in the front of his face, and then there's a the red, red light back. behind him. And then they use like green lights in the city. It was just accented just a little bit there. Mm, I hadn't I hadn't noticed. A good call, good good catch. Yeah, man. Um, what what do you think? Some of the themes that John Carpenter was trying to get across to us as viewers in this film. All right, we have the theme of the antihero. Snake Plissken is the guy who comes across like he doesn't care about anybody else we see that highlighted in that he's got a, obviously a specific mission to take care of and when he's in the city he sees uh, a young girl uh, amidst some gang members like they're like they're about to like rape her 
basically. They even like tear her top off, and he's he obviously has turned his head, and we cut to them, you know, pushing her around and tearing her clothes off. And he just turns away, and he keeps about his mission. Like he right. doesn't he doesn't even stop to try and help. Like typically, when we think about a hero, a hero would, would would jump in to save you know innocent lives in danger. But these are all criminals. Yeah, like the worst, the worst of the worst. Seems and, like women are done for in this prison. Yeah, you don't you don't see many of them. Like there's literally, I think maybe three. That, yeah, we see. that we're introduced to, yeah, yeah. So, but he's just like, no, nope, it's not my, not my concern. And he's moving on. He, he doesn't even want to take the mission initially to to save the president. Like, he's just disillusioned, former soldier. So anyway, antihero. Uh, but then we have the Liberty Island Security Control. I have them as a theme because they show the, the contrast and the contradiction because they're, they're set up at Ellis Island where the Statue of Liberty is. And the ah. name itself is one big oxymoron. The Liberty Island Security Control. Wow. Like that's all one big oxymoron. That's lovely. So we have this <laughs> police state, right, mm-hmm. that, that's been set in place. Um, and if you're not, the, if the theme of if you're not the president, eh, you're screwed. Yeah, pretty like, much. And, and that, that not only takes place in the mission at hand, mm-hmm. because... When they're in Air Force One and, they, and it's and the plane has gone down, and they're thinking, is there any way they could be saved? All the people there, they they know they're going to die. Like, we got to get the president into this thing, and he tries to act like he cares. Oh, no, I don't want to happen. Like, oh, we got to get you in there. Okay, all right. And he just it goes <laughs> yeah. through inside his, his little egg, his little red like, egg that drops see down. Peace. Yeah, he's, he's he's they're they're done. Uh, then I have uh, perversion. Like everything is like perverse, perversed, perverse, perverted. Bingo. Perverted and distorted. <laughs> words. Yep. It's the month for words. So like the library is where the brain is at, I believe. And huh. he's got all the information. That's fitting. You know? I didn't even connect the dots there. Like, Ooh, whoops. Okay. <laughs> uh, city, like this, there's City Hall. Yeah. Which is where the Duke is at. And he's like the authority mm-hmm. of the whole island. The, uh, Kind of what their rendition of Broadway, right? You've got these you know, oh, men God. in drag singing, singing their songs. Yeah, man. And the uh, cabbie, the guy that played this, driving the cabbies in the audience, like, yeah, this is wonderful entertainment. What else do you have? Nothing. You got nothing. You can go commit it's, some crimes in jail. It's, it's a prison. Not even, it's not even a prison. I mean, it's the whole a, thing's a prison. But they're what? What? You know what? What other film has? There's another film that has. I can't think of what it is, but this is it there's another film that has a you live in an area and it's it you like it's you do what you want but you can't leave but it's like a prison. I can't think of what it is, but you I can just, do what you want. But it's like it's like it's like you can't leave, but it's a, but it's a uh the island. No, they were prisoners on there for real. Yeah. On the island. But there's another, there's another film or uh-huh. show or something where th- that kind of setup exists. And I can't think and of what it is. you can do what you want? That's great. Yeah. But it's... Are they it's, considered prisoners? Kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. But it's like a lawless kind of society thing, and it, okay. but it's walled off. It's okay. a walled off section of society that's just, you don't want to go there because it's just anarchy. No. Excuse me. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, you know what? I think I'm, I th- I may be thinking about Westworld. And I, it wasn't my brain, but I was like, people are going off to this island for for entertainment. But there are areas where you can go that but you can do what, but, but you can still do what you want to do because these people aren't considered people that you're creating crimes against. Yeah. And yeah, maybe it's Westworld. I need to pick that back up. I think I stopped around season two. So did, so did I. But uh, yeah, 
I think I saw it maybe the beginning of season three, but I, I, mean, I kind of just fell off. Yeah, I was. I don't know. Took a, took a left turn. So those are some of the. So those are some of the themes I had <clears throat> for. Also, like you can kind of see his character, um, Snake's character. You know, like you were saying, is doesn't care about anything. Literally, watching somebody being raped. Not watching them, but ignoring rape. Um, and then that's how do you come back from that? And then at the end of the at the end of the film, you know, he asked the president, you know, what do you think? Um, you know about the people that risked their lives for you, blah 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 blah. And then, what did the president say? Well, we appreciate their their sacrifice. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going on there in about two minutes. Dang. Let's see. this back to the theme of if you're not the president, you're screwed. Yeah. And so, so maybe Snake did care a little bit, and then did a whole switch a Texas switcheroo on him. Is that what it's called? The whole stunt? No, that's a different stunt. What the Texas switch? Oh, well, whatever. It is a switcheroo, though. It's just not a Texas switcheroo. <laughs> the Texas, the Texas switch was when you have a, a stunt person mm-hmm. coming onto the scene and dropping down behind something, and then the actual actor is waiting behind there, and the actual actor is who appears and keeps moving forward with the scene. So, with that Texas switcheroo, we have that. And uh, remember the movie Elf? Yes, it's a shot, and then he runs off this <laughs> the frame. Uh, was uh Farrell? He Will. runs out of Will Farrell runs out of the frame, and then somebody else jumps into the frame. <laughs> mm. jumps into the frame, and it's the stunt guy that jumps into the frame and into the tree. I guess that would be considered a Texas witcher. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, what are um, some favorite scenes that you pulled from this movie? Uh, let's see. I have. I give you one. Um, the plane crash, the plane crash in, uh, in the set of St. Louis, which is a real plane, literally on fire in the middle of the city, St. Louis, but it's New York. It just, I like the way it looked. It looked real and it looked amazing. Mm. Yeah, they do some very innovative things uh, visually and with effects, like really, really cool things for their time and their budget. So I like how, I like when he actually rescues the president. Mm-hmm. He grab he grabs the first dude, and the, and I was kind of ticked the president. So like like the president gives away that he's there because he's looking right at him. The guy's like, "What are you looking at?" And he turns. That's when he sees Snake. Like, yeah, the president was like, "Okay, look the opposite way." So, but the I thought about it later. I was like, "Wait, the president doesn't know who this guy is. He doesn't right. know that he's there to rescue him. He, or he's murder. there to, to murder him." Yeah. But the fact that that Snake gets hit with an arrow in the leg, yeah, it doesn't like barely flinches and just. Baba takes the guy out uh-huh. and still rescues the president, but the rest of the film, he's got a limp, like a noticeable limp that slows him down, and they True. stick with that the rest of the film. I like that. I, I thought that was one of my favorite scenes of Mike. Now that you bring that scene up, we notice that um, Snake throws a knife at a guy in his forehead mm. and kills him right before he rescues the president, and we see Jack that. Jack Burton. Yes. Good call. Good yeah. catch. I thought about huh. that. And then John Carpenter says, like, the actor didn't, like, kind of took the fun out of it by not giving a reaction. Because when he hits with the knife, he's just still. And then, da, da, da. But when, in Big Trouble Little China, when he throws a knife, there's like, the guy is acting like, ah. <laughs> You're like, yes. But anyhow, they perfected it. Indeed. Like, we learned from, we learned from uh, Escape from New York. Uh, I like the shot of. When the people are coming out of the manholes, mm-hmm. 
in the middle of the street. Like, I was like, what is this? Like, you see all these people like coming out like zombies out of the middle of the street and stuff. Kind of like reminds that. me of Thriller. Dude, I wrote the same thing down. Because you got the smoke coming out when they're, yeah. when they're walking. It's like the little fog. The fog. Like, kind of coming out. <laughs> John Carpenter's <laughs> The Fog. I just thought it was, it was a cool little look. I wonder if John Landis watched that and took took inspiration there you to go. Then incorporate that into Thriller. Here we go. John Carpenter's Nothing. <laughs> um, so, in, in contrast to my, my other, the previous favorite scene, I also like when... When Snake gets caught, and you know they're they're interrogating him, and Isaac Hayes grabs the arrow that's in his uh, knee yeah. and torques it. Ouch! And and Kurt Russell, man, he does this shake like his cheeks are like literally like shaking, really like, with pain. It's I'm like it's a slight thing, but it is it is so well done. Like the his uh, he's got this shake going on. I'm like, dang, that's cool. It's just yeah, it's very nuanced, but it's it's. It, it's all the pain is in his eyes and, and it's like shaking of the cheeks. Like he's trying his best to not yell. It's, but it's not, but it's not exaggerated. It's just real subtle. Man. I didn't catch that. But speaking of that, you know, um, you know, faces, Isaac Hayes with his twitch. twitch. Oh my goodness. Like I noticed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, he's got this nervous twitch. <laughs> but it's only, it's only with snake. Yeah. I had no idea whether that was the only time, but this guy's like getting under his skin. He's like, <laughs> where are you from? He's got this nervous twitch. I mean, he's working at Twitch, so it works. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's overplaying it, but it's great. Uh, mm, I like when uh, when Maggie shoots the the weird lieutenant guy, like the Duke's like right hand man. Like I didn't mm-hmm. like I didn't like that guy, so I was glad to see him get murked. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. God, well, actually, like, he got stabbed. Mm, that's true. Yeah, brain yeah. stabbed him. Yeah, brain stabbed him, and she shoots the other guys in the room. Yeah, that's right. Cause he stabbed him right in the gut. Yeah, I'm. I was happy to see Brain stab the dude, take him out. That dude was out of there. He was weird. He was like, eh. <laughs> he didn't put his hands like in a prayer. Like, eh. <laughs> you died. You're done, son. You're done. <laughs> it's over for you. I like how the cabbie, when uh, we see cabbie for the first time, he said snake. You know, he's like snake. It's you know, like reminiscent of old times. And the snake gets in the ca- into the cab, and then these the bad guys are following snake. And then the cabbie just, he just so happens to have a Molotov cocktail in his car. And he's like, yeah, snake. And he lights it up and then throws it out into the alleyway. You know you're living in a rough place when your cabbie's just packing Molotov cocktails. Ready. Like, no big deal. <laughs> it's just another Thursday, buddy. That's rough, man. Very rough. Uh, I also have, oh, when Snake wins the match against the, the wrestler. he Dude. Just those last two shots, the spike back to the gut or to the nuts i can't tell which one yeah and then just thunk, thunk, right, right in the back, back of the head and the way they did that was they had a board they had a board with a nail in it sticking like out of the guy's clothes from behind yeah so snake just had to get the bat to land on the nail that's how it got to got to stick no 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 but it's effective though yeah that looked real that was good yeah very effective because <laughs> it's, it's the it's a bat going into the nail facing out the opposite way no so stuck Gotta be a better way. And they cut away and he just leans on those ropes. It's gotta be a better way. I was like, nice. You got any tropes? Or is there any more memorable scenes? Uh, Just two more. Maggie's last stand. And when she decides, Ah. again, there's so few women even in this spot. And then her dude has, you know, been taken out. And she, like, just looks at Snake to get him the gun. It's one of the few kind of times he's, like, showing some emotion. Like, Mm -hmm. like, come on, don't, don't do this. But she's like... 
Nah, and she saves the day. I mean, in essence, she allows him to the, him and the president to get away, and she's there. Bah, 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 and then just she shoots in. She shoots the Duke. Just gets plowed over, and then lastly at the end, when Snake is walking away, and he has the actual real tape, and he's like literally destroying it, just stripping the tape, pulling pulling it out of the cassette holder. Wow! It's like whoa, cassettes, anti. Hero, screw world peace. Is yeah, that's what don't Snake is saying. Don't need it. <laughs> Overrated. So I have a few tropes. Tropes. Um, tropes. So one of the tropes, um, and they talk about it, the expository weapon scene, where we see all the weapons and the choices that Snake has to use in his mission. Mm. We see that everywhere. You know, that's Rambo. That's that's everything. I think with Rambo, it's like Rambo is like a whole situation. He'd be making his weapons. Yeah. <laughs> um, Especially that knife. Uh, the police the police state. Yeah. Yeah, how many times have we seen that? Um, and, the, and this uh, story isn't new, or maybe people have gotten their story ideas from it. A guy going into a hostile environment to save a person or eradicate a threat. And I thought about Predator or Arnold Schwarzenegger going in. As the guy to do that. And we've seen that one person being the guy. To, You're the only one that can do this. Yeah, the expert rescue mission. Yeah. <laughs> we need you because you're the best. Yes. We're not going to give you any help. Good luck. Thanks. Try not to die in this city of very dangerous criminals who are all going to be out to kill you. Yeah. Good luck. Report back. And if you don't make it, you're going to die anyway. Yep. Um... Another trope, like where you were just talking about the fight, the gladiators fight, and one of the guys is an unbelievable giant. Mm. And uh, it made me think about Thor and Hulk. You know, they got the shields, they got the bats and stuff like that. He's a friend from work. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just going at it, you know. Um, that's what the gladiator fight scene reminds me of. It's for pure entertainment. Mm. The eccentric bad guy and his wacky like second in command oh uh, yeah yeah but that was kind of a trope in like you know you get mad max and, and things like that like mm-hmm. there were other kind of dystopian future films where you had really kind of just whacked out <laughs> whacked out whacked out characters so you can imagine like the amount of drugs these guys were were just doing yeah i mean and i mean this anything goes like they got to point people like we don't care y'all go over there and just be there and, and whatever let them destroy themselves, basically. Yeah. Yikes. Um, Cannibalism. Mm. For sure. Oh, yeah. You got any more tropes? Mm. I, no, I don't. But I did have that equipment overview before the mission. Like, I, didn't, I didn't realize <laughs> I'd actually written that down. I was like, oh, yeah, I do have that down. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure there are plenty, plenty more within this, just based upon the right. time it came out and mm-hmm. things that we see now. This, this probably may be created Mm-hmm. Maybe some tropes, but uh, yeah, yeah. The what the weapon situation that I mean that's such a trope. I mean that's that's almost in some movies you're waiting for that like 007. All right, what's the new weapons? You know, you trying to you know. Here's one, Batman. Uh, the limit limited amount of time to get out and the the loss of communication. Like, okay, I've got yeah. a walkie talkie now. It, it just happened to fall and break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's a trope. 
Because sure. you, you have to find a way to break that communication. Now today's cell phones. So it's like, okay, how can you find a way to separate uh, the cell phones away from your characters? Because in real life, you just, huh, I'll just call if I need help. Mm. And the, the first, the first way out never working. Yeah. Like I've got, I've got, I've got a glider on top of the, you know, the, uh, the twin towers, you know, sure enough, like we get there, we, we were, we were almost there. Yeah. We were, we were literally on, on the building, on the roof. Yeah. Right as these guys cut the line and throw the glider off the building, like, oh, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's creepy seeing planes fly near the, you know, the towers anytime in a film prior mm. to 9-11. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. just different, man. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> how, I mean, everything just like changes. It, it's, it's always odd to me now just seeing the towers and stuff now. Yeah. They were so prominent. I mean, mm. using oh, yeah. a lot of stuff, like so many things had to, yeah. That's an establishing shot to let you know you're in New York. Yeah. Like you have to have that shot. It's like the bridge, San Francisco. Yeah. The first Spider-Man movie actually had a promotional shot of him like webbing something between the two towers. What? And they had to like, you know, take uh, take that out. Take promotional shots. Unbelievable. Mm. Do you have any quotes? I don't have any quotes, but I don't think I've seen anything that was like, I'm going to write this down. Um, yeah. We've got a few quotes. Um, okay. Bob says to uh, Snake, what are you doing? And then Pliskin replies, playing with myself. I'm going in. And when he's on the glider, <laughs> heading in. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, then I have, uh, you know, Isaac Hayes' character, the Duke, forcing the president to say, who who am I? And mm-hmm. the president to say, you're the Duke. You're number one. And then, uh, at the, and then at the end of the film, when the president is mowing him down with a machine gun, he's like, you're the Duke. You're number one. And he's just like getting his revenge. And just light, lighten up that Dang. guy. Um, and then at the very end of the film, Bob says, you know, Snake, we, we should work together. And Snake says, call me Plissken. <laughs> Which is in contrast to what he says at the beginning of the film when yeah. he says Plissken, he's like, call me Snake. Dang. This guy's always tricky. It's like <laughs> Dr. Strange, right? Dr. Strange is telling Tom Holland what to call him. We've, we've saved the universe. We can, you know, you don't have to call me doctor. Then he okay, says, Stephen. Still weird. But I'll allow it. <laughs> well done. Uh, I know you have trivia. I just might have a little trivia. All right, we're going to burn through. Okay. All right, so. So Kurt Russell is actually doing a slight imitation of Clint Eastwood with his again, kind of, kind of his little whisper. Before it was it was John Wayne uh, in Big Trouble in China, but this is more Clint Eastwood. Go ahead, make my day. How did I mix that up? Oh, partner, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The two different dudes. Um. So Mr. Lee, who played Bob, he had a problem with walking and also giving his lines because he had. He had broken his knee back during the Western days, <sighs> and so that was he never got it fixed. So, oh. so just honestly, just like scenes where he's walking, it's like a he real looked painful. challenge for him. When they were talking about that and watching him walk, I was like, Ooh. "Once you know it, you're looking. You like, really see it. Mm. Like, ouch! He's in pain. A broken knee, broken knee. And they said like it would buckle, like it would just give out. Yeah, yeah. Like the scene like when he was. Yeah, yeah, yes. Anyway, so, yes, that's uh, unfortunate. But he powered through as a professional. Yeah. 
Uh, the crew of the film is actually playing instruments during the musical number on Broadway. So Carpenter's there. I think the director of photography, multiple members of the, of the crew are actually playing those instruments during that Broadway performance. And they had to get a, they had a song they wanted to play, but mm-hmm. they couldn't get the rights. So they had to, they had to create a new song. Nice. So it's, that's good. Creative that, power. I like it. A telltale sign that your film is low budget. If you have white lettering on the black background, John Carpenter says that. Yes. And I know we didn't do dislikes, but that's one of the things I disliked that the, it was so long to me. That opening was so long. We're, dude, we're with, so with used opening credits. I'm like, come on. I'm like this is, this is taking forever. <laughs> this is not what I came here for. Uh, but back in the day, we, you know, you, our patience was a little bit, you know, we had a little it, bit more patience. It back was in a the lot. Day. It was a lot more back in the day. Even, yeah. even with the scenes, like certain scenes, you will let draw out a little bit more for mm-hmm. a couple minutes before a cut. Now we got, uh, uh, what's the movie that we were talking about last time? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like the whole intro, <laughs> the whole title sequence oh. is a whole battle going on, you know, with the music playing. So we're being entertained while these titles, we don't even, not even reading the titles. We're just like watching them battle this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a different, different, different beast. Um, it was Kurt Russell's idea to, in, to have the eye patch on snake. Uh, the guy who played the president, Donald is his first name. He actually fought in World War II and actually had handled the machine gun before. Actually, was a prisoner of war. Dang, and was tortured, right? Yeah, he was actually a, yeah a POW who was tortured. So that's one reason why he got to handle the machine gun at the end and and, and shoot out the Duke. Nice. Um, during this time, CGI hadn't been invented. No sir. And so they relied heavily on animation, which would be you know CGI stuff today, but uh, actual animation, you know, hand drawn animations to uh, convey their vision indeed uh saint the saint saint louis's the state of saint louis is the city of saint louis no the city of saint louis their streets were used um and had to be reset each morning uh, as far as all the trash that was there because oh. saint louis had, had a fire yeah that, that destroyed a lot of the downtown saint louis and so they would set out trash all over they would then have to like remove it during the day and Dang. then and then early in the morning before or, or I guess late late at night because they shot mainly at night. Yeah, they'd have to put it all back out before they would a couple hours before they'd start shooting. That's rough, mm-hmm. but uh, pays off, man. The the big plane that they that gotten from Arizona from mm-hmm. the like the plane graveyard that they brought back and cut up to kind of represent the president's plane. After they set it out there, there were people who were calling into the police, <laughs> giving giving eyewitnesses account eyewitness accounts of having seen the plane crash. Oh, it's total full BS. Of lies. It's full total of lies. BS. <laughs> I swear, I saw it go down. You didn't see nothing extra. Hmm. Um, the uh, they ordered smoke to be you know used on different parts of the film, and that smoke was flying in on a plane and. One of the containers came loose, and once it becomes loose and you get exposed to air, the smoke starts coming out. So the pilot thought the plane was on fire. Oh my god! And that led to, um, you know, him being sure assured that it wasn't. But then it led to a lawsuit with oh. the F- FFA, mm-hmm. uh, whatever the FCC, FCC, FAA. Uh, who knows? Yeah, whatever the organization that handle that handles flights. <laughs> FCC, I don't. That's federal, I'm out of this federal, game. Federal communication. I think it was. I think it's FAA. Federal Aviation. Yeah, federal Aviation Association. Something like that. Okay. It led to like a ten thousand dollar like fine that the production company had to had to pay because of that. Dude. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's my trivia. Now it's time for filmmaker tips. What you got? 
understand the times and context. So this film coming out in 1981, coming off of the recent years and turmoil that had taken place in New York. New York was rough in the late 70s and early 80s as far as crime, poverty, fires. It was it was it was bad. And so for people to see a film where crime had escalated to such a level, you know, according to this storyline by 88, uh, 1997. Sure. That's when the, the that's when the, when the, oh, that's the when the film's time, taking yeah, place. But, but within its timeline in 88 is when like crime is increased by like 400% or something like that. And let's not forget why crack ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> He crack, well, crack was about to come on the scene yeah. pretty hard. But, I mean, drugs, definitely, like heroin, things like that, were already kind of wrecking shop. But, yeah, to see a film where these bad things are then kind of heightened, kind of similar to what you mentioned with The Hunt, where you, you got these things that are happening in, real, in the real world, in real life, and then, boom, it hits, and the, it, it'll affect you differently. So now we watch this, and it doesn't affect us that, that much, <laughs> especially seeing that it was set in 97 and we, we've already come and lived through 97, like over 20 years ago mm-hmm. now. Uh, but, yeah. But knowing the times, I, I'd be very, man, very fascinating how, how this hit for people uh, then. Try yet not to lose my, my head. head. <laughs> I mean, that music video looks just like the, the shots in this film. Broken glass everywhere. Come on, he telling you. True that, true that. Um, you got to, you got to. Um, the opening shot where we see the wall. Um it's established first by the animation that we talked about a second ago. And then we go into like the real filming and it's um, the wall, the camera tilts up and uh, as the camera is tilting up over this wall, it goes into like black. And so when it goes into black, now uh, James Cameron, James Carpenter talks about James Cameron's uh, company, which did a lot of like the animation and um, matte paintings, like special effects. So James Cameron's uh, company, called New World was doing like the special effects on the stage. And so when that camera is tilting up to the black part of the scene of the frame, uh, it transitions over to James Cameron's special effects. And so that's how you can kind of hide those transitions. Shoot in other places. So they really couldn't shoot in New York proper. So as I mentioned before, they shot predominantly in St. Louis on those exterior shots there's one shot in New York, and that's really of the Statue of Liberty when they're initially establishing uh, yeah, yeah. the um, the Liberty yada yada police or control security control organization. Pardon me. Yeah, I ain't over there. Yes, sir. Sorry, I had a little bit of Pepsi. <laughs> uh, John Carpenter took advantage of matte paintings, miniatures, and like little toy planes. <laughs> Like lot, lots, they did lots of that in this film very effectively. It still, yeah. it still holds up. Like mm-hmm. when they show, like the overhead shots of of the city. Yeah, that's just one big miniature where they had gone and grabbed like overhead photography of the city and then took yeah. the negatives and put that on the overhead projector. That's beautiful. And just trace and drew it out, and then they put down the special paint. Uh, all around to give mm-hmm. you that kind of special imaging, like it was going through a computer. Like, but all that was just practical. I was like, what? I like that, it. That that one surprised me. When I, was, I was like, oh, kudos. John Carpenter talks about um, part of being a director is your job is to make sure that the work is actually getting done. And so he goes on to expound about 
you know, why he only did maybe several takes and we got to move on or it's a wide take. We got to move on. You know, you got the, you got the coverage. Let's go. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's a, a director with a strong vision who knows what he wants and knows when he has it. Mm-hmm. And he can say, okay, all right, let's move on. And knows about sticking with his budget as well, which Carpenter is very, you know, responsible with and for. Adding to that, um, uh, uh, Kurt Russell was saying that in the commentary and he was saying like very few directors have like the whole movie in their head. And he was saying John Carpenter is one of the guys that has the whole movie in their head. So with that being said, this is one director, you know, if you're looking into being a filmmaker is to follow his path and see how he does it. I would also like mention like David Fincher is one of those guys who literally has a whole movie in his software, exactly. which is a previs of the whole movie. Ridley Scott, again, we've covered. <laughs> yeah. Just there, there are these auteurs that are out there who just, I mean, they're, they're, their vision and their leadership mm-hmm. is very, very powerful. Yep. And that, that was one of my last tips for filmmakers out there. All right. I've got a few more for you. A vertical flag can be more intimidating. They, when we, when we see the. Ooh, tell us, what does that mean? Well, when we see this this organization, right, the, this police state, they took the American flag and they turned it vertical, mm-hmm. which kind of gives kind of gives hints to like the kind of the old like Nazi banners, things like okay. that. But they just turn the American flag vertically, mm-hmm. and it gives a totally different, like intimidating, imposing police state vibe. Interesting. Uh, but they show that in a couple of scenes. Um, All right. Cameron's group, in addition to the miniatures, they also did a bunch of insert shots. Uh, of like close-ups of, of things like whether it's Pliskin in, in in the plane or other other areas, so it's pretty pretty powerful. Uh, yes, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty important that they that they did all of that. Uh, it's screening your films also was very helpful when they initially mm-hmm. screened John Carpenter's Escape from New York. People didn't realize that the island was a prison in and of itself. Oh, really? So that's why they added, at the beginning, they added the text and they added that voiceover. Oh, that's very helpful, actually. Exactly. Huh. Yeah, but that wasn't there in the screenings. People didn't figure out until about half of the movie that, oh, this, uh, this, this, this is like a prison thing? <laughs> so they added that at the beginning, and it does, it does, it does help quite a it bit. It kind of hits you over the head with yeah, it. Even, yeah, even, even though the trailers make it clear, but, you know, not everybody sees the trailer. Before I they think that is so important. Yeah. yeah, well done on that, listening to that. And Jamie Lee Curtis is the, the computer voice throughout the film. Huh. Yeah. How about that? Carpenter is, again, loyal to his people. Like, mm-hmm. you work with him, probably have work for, for a while. Man, and how, how that's so true, because, you know, when we were showing our film, like, out of all the screenings, like, the advice that we got from people and literally applying it and seeing the results from that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um... Mm, Carpenter mentioned that working at night changes your life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and how you approach things when you are getting up like in the afternoon. And so it just changes your approach, changes your priorities. So just something to consider, you know, depending on when you're shooting, that it's going to change your life. Yeah. I used to work the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift. It does. Like even to this day, I can, like, right now, I can stay up 24 hours. If it's like, hey, we're staying up today. I'm like, all right. Mm. Um, yeah, it feels like a literal fight, though. Like when, like mm. training yourself to do that, it feels like a fight. Around like two o'clock, it's just like coming down on you, like oh, it's unnatural. Yeah, <laughs> it's unnatural. 
John Carpenter's <laughs> Night Workers. <laughs> Every, uh, this night is different. <laughs> Can't sleep? You should be at work. <laughs> uh, in addition to that, uh, the manhole covers. Yeah. If you're going to have manhole covers in your film, yeah. you don't want the real ones because they're extremely, extremely heavy. Dang. In this film, they were made out of cardboard. Wow. And we can easily move them. You you watch so many films that you think they're easily movable. Like, movies ruin life because of For real. <laughs> if you were running like, for seen, your life yeah. and you tried to grab a manhole, you'd probably die because <laughs> you'd still be trying to lift it and the killer would get up on you or run you over or whatever. You say if you're trying to push it up, it'll, like, break your back because that's how heavy they are. Dang. And yeah, we see, and I was... We see cool. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, easy. Oh, let's get out. But they're, they're also <laughs> mutant. They're super strong. I'm just saying. I think yeah. even the even the uh, the clan, the Ninja Clan, was doing the same thing to yeah. follow those Every guys. Every movie. Like, nobody has trouble with manhole covers <laughs> in the movie. They're like, uh, no big deal. You, you think it's like light, but no. And this thing's incredibly heavy, which I guess they should be. People shouldn't just be able to lift manhole covers at random. Yeah, because that would be extremely dangerous if the car was a, like, Hit one of those. Yeah. Boop, yeah. Done, so done for. Yeah. It's cardboard. <laughs> Save you back. Uh, this is my, my last one. Uh, working on a low budget forces you to think critically, to rely on your performances, and to keep things straightforward. Well done. Indeed. Um, overall, I think Escape from New York, solid, must watch, must study film for filmmakers. Indeed. Yeah, I gained a greater appreciation for it watching this the second time around, taking a deeper, deeper dive into it. And I probably will track down Escape from LA because I'm just curious now to see yeah. the continuation of uh, Snake Plissken. Oh, I did want to mention his his outfit. I really like his outfit, and it seems very modern for the time. <laughs> because men's pants have gotten tighter and tighter. So he's got that's true, but just to look the the gray like the gray fatigue, like you didn't really see that before then, right? And his top looks almost like a like a kind of like a one like the wick kind of spandex material, which you didn't see like that. Like I had, I've had some red camouflage pants, but see back in the like in the nineties, they were baggy. So we would go to the Army Navy store and buy it. Like the gray, you can buy the gray blue camo because the gray you need that for um, Antarctic um, scenery. Uh, you can buy the gray, you can buy the blue, you can buy the red. Yep. And, um, and this, or just the regular ones. And so that was around, but they were baggy. They were not spandex type material. Well, I don't mean his pants. I mean his, sh- his shirt tie. Oh, like that looks like, like kind of the wick kind of breathing material, like Under Armour kind of thing. Which, oh, I see what you're saying. Which, like, I, I'd seen that anywhere else in the 80s, right. except for on his character, which I, I find very interesting. Yeah. That is, uh, it did fit in for today's trendy fashion. Yeah, interesting. Everything loops back around, man. Nothing new under the sun. At all. John Carpenter's new movie, The Sun. (laughs) John Carpenter's Atmosphere. (laughs) Uh, What are we diving into? We're sticking in the 80s. What movie are we watching next? We are going to come across one Axel Foley. Okay. With... Beverly Hills Cop. Part one. Numero uno. Um, and you can catch us where? Facebook.com forward slash filmmaker commentary. You can also 
Like, rate, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and now, of course, Spotify. Indeed. Once again, let us know if you have any kind of issues with uh, as we migrate to the new format and the new platform on Anchor. Mm-hmm. And you can reach him at Reggie Titus, me at KCG Smith 32 on Twitter. And on the gram, you can reach out to us at Filmmaker Commentary. He's at Reginald Titus Jr., that's JR, and I'm at KCG Smith 32. Until next time, peace, respect. <laughs>